Morning, everyone. Um, for those who didn't catch it, my name's Ryan. Um, and those who came in late, I lead Josh Jen Dovenville PM up in Aurora at the moment. Um, and it's so good to be here. Thanks for the invite, Ants. Um, my heart is pounding at the moment because I'm, I'm torn. Like, where worship was taking me was linked to my notes, but not, not exactly there. And my guys will know where sometimes this goes. And I'll, I'll try to return back to my notes. But I, I really do believe that God is speaking this morning. Um, when he uses the, the term or the phrase, open my eyes, or open my eyes to, to what you want to do, um, it means we're not, to me, it means we're not seeing clearly. It means we're, we've looked at something, but we, we're no longer looking at it. Our eyes have closed, and so we need to open our eyes. And I do believe this morning that the Lord's talking about a sentimental view of Christianity. Um, I'm not going to preach on that directly. But I do believe right now there's, there's a moment where um, from every morning that I get to sit with the Lord, I'm open for Him to show me something new, to do something new, to come and change a way I'm looking at something, to reveal more of Him, to take the next layer of the onion off, um, to really rock my theology. And I think Easter is one of those, those prime places. Because I, I think we, we get sucked into what the world is doing and how it takes away the effect. I'm going to speak on two things. We'll get into that just now. But for an, for an example, I'm going to talk about the bread of life, and I'm going to talk about picking up your cross. Now, we've all heard those two phrases many times, but has our lives changed because we've heard those, we've read those words? Because if you not just see the sentimental picture, if he really drops in your heart what those two things mean for your life. And I know a lot of people take me to task for this, but you will stop being a Christian and you will then become a disciple. Christians, for me, for the world, paints a very dim picture. Of Christianity. It's a, a tick, tick box. It used to be a tick box when ever you had to sign a form. What denomination are you? No, Christian. You know, Christian, non-Christian. And our Christianity has become, it, it's, it's become sentimental if our lives have not changed. I mean, I was speaking to a couple of people the other day. We started getting into a conversation around worship and the words we sing. 
Now, pop culture, rock culture, music culture is all there to, it's, it's a sentimental string to an emotion. And often we sing songs and they elicit an emotional response in us. But we don't believe that worship actually should bring change in us too. We, we, we sing words. What were some of the examples today? Um, wonderful counselor, if you can get that. So let's just take the word wonderful. Don't worry about looking for it. Take the word wonderful. Fantastic. We, we say he is, an a counselor, he is a counselor, but if we don't go to him, is he really a counselor? The word wonderful. How often do you use that in your day-to-day terminology? Man, that meal was wonderful. Eh? I think there's a wonderful plaza in Belleville as well. <laughs> Go buy cheap running shoes. But how often do we really own what we say? And I, I do, before I get back into my notes, I do feel the Lord is saying something. He's been saying something to us in PM. We've been stopping on songs. And just looking, taking a deep dive in actually what we are singing. And do we actually own it? All right. We need to acknowledge that what we sing identifies who we are. And it's no good if we just sing it here on a Sunday, but our lives out there represent something different. You get where I'm going with this? So... I'm not sure all of your backgrounds, um, what congregations, I do know most of you now what congregations you go to, but I, I don't know where you stand at the moment with Jesus and the bride, the church. Um, so before I begin, I'm not going to assume anything. And I, I felt to make a statement up front, and there may be many expectations this morning, you may have come through the door thinking I'm going to talk about the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' betrayal, His arrest, the crucifixion, and finally His resurrection. And although you may hear components of that this morning, I really felt to go a little bit off-center this morning. And it might sound strange to some, but God leads me to preach initially through a picture or a dream. And we read in Acts that young men will see visions, hey Stephen, <laughs> Samuel, and your old men shall dream dreams. And I'm old. And I was given a picture of hot cross buns in my quiet time. And was really quite perplexed for some time. I knew it was Easter and I knew that we have hot cross buns at Easter. I mean, who doesn't like hot cross buns? Hands? 
Come on, where are the responses? Are all those hot cross buns for us four? Extra spicy, fruit, no fruit, something different, chocolate chip. I hear the southern suburbs are putting chocolate chips in their hot cross buns. So for those who are taking notes, this sermon is called Hot Cross Buns, Bread with a Cross. We go to our first scripture, Matthew 16, 24 to 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, we'll find it. Jesus says, if anyone is to follow me, he is to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. We have read this perhaps many times before. At the very least, you should know the scripture. Taking up your cross. But what does that even mean? For the modern Christian, the cross has become a symbol of of God's grace and love for us. It is a story of redemption. And now we wear crosses around our neck, hang it on our walls, perhaps even tattoo it in our flesh, and we declare ourselves Christians. Did you know or realize that the person who takes up the cross from an Easter perspective is the person that the Romans have sentenced to death? What would you do if you had to make that choice? Visualize it. You knowingly take up the cross and you would walk with your cross to a place where they would crucify you. In the time of Jesus, the cross was used as an instrument of death. The cross would have been a symbol of shame. You hung naked on that cross for hours. The cross would have been a symbol of suffering. The cross was designed to prolong suffering as long as possible. And under Roman law, as you took up your cross, your life was forfeit and you no longer had any rights. So you, under Roman law, you would be in a a court situation, you would be charged, sentenced to crucify. Often the guys would have to go and make their own crosses Um, but the second you picked up that cross, your life was forfeit. And so, as you were walking to your place of execution, carrying your cross, people were now allowed to do anything they wanted to do to you. Is this your Christianity? Not just extremely heavy, but particularly if you had been, what's the word they used? I I wrote here, whipped. I think it was called scourged. 
you'd be in a state of shock, in trauma, suffering blood loss, and extreme pain. And on top of that, if you were a notorious criminal, humil humiliation was waiting for you on that final journey. Some historians tell us that in some cases, the criminals were actually relieved to finally arrive to their place of crucifixion. Such was the horror of their walk there. And then finally death, when it came. Everyone died on the cross. There was no one who saw the cross and lived. Can you put that verse up again, please? Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Of all the images available to Jesus, he picks this one. And this is what it means to follow him. Jesus is saying we have to yield our everything to him. Everything we are. Our identity, ambitions, our relationships. We have to give it to him. And this is actually the best thing for us to do. We're no good at playing God. And handing over the keys of our life to someone who knows what they're doing is a blessing. And it's a blessing that comes undisguised. I had a, a, a picture of installing a cell phone app here. You know, you install the cell phone app and then it comes up with that blurb that all those things you've got to read through and it says agree or disagree. Like you've already given your life to Apple. What's an app? You just go, okay. Jesus doesn't do that. The sentimental view of Jesus does that. It says, come to me and I'll give you resurrection power. Well, come to me, I'll give you forgiveness. The weight of actually what you called, how you called to come. Somebody hasn't read the fine print. <laughs> it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> I want to assure you there's reassurance in this. Death by crucifixion was the result. Where's our medical doctors? Manette, anyone else? Death by crucifixion was the result of the manner in which the condemned man hung from the cross and not the traumatic injury caused by nailing and the subsequent blood loss. Hanging from the cross resulted in a painful process of asphyxiation. 
in which the two sets of muscles used for breathing, both the intercostal, the chest muscles, resulted, and the diaphragm became progressively weakened. In time, sometimes a long time, you would eventually die due to the inability to continue breathing properly. What do you call the stress? I'm going to put you on the spot now. <laughs> when somebody goes, undergoes massive trauma, their heart, um, it's something to do with water and blood. Yeah. And they believe that when Jesus was pierced by the spear, that that's where the water came from. When you're in severe trauma, your fluid comes and surrounds your heart. And that's the water that came out with the blood. Our point is there's going to be a radical, costly change in becoming a Christian. Surely, if this is the imagery that Jesus gives us, if Jesus has slotted perfectly and conveniently and smoothly into your life, I'm not so sure you have this Jesus in your life. Following Jesus turns everything upside down Completely. Jesus is saying, where's that verse again? Please. Maybe just leave it up for now. But Jesus is saying, whatever helps else happens in this life, from this point, you don't ever come out worse off. It's never a bad idea. But whoever loses his life, for my sake, will find it. Jesus is always up front with the cost. The great thing about Jesus is he never hides anything. It's going to be difficult. It's going to feel like losing your life, actually. Jesus says the very act of losing your life means you have gained your life. At some point, if not already, Jesus is going to find something sacred to you and is either going to take it or at the very least going to start interfering. Something you are going to feel is non-negotiable. Jesus is going to say, we need to talk about this. And when he does, it will feel like losing your life. And yet deep down, you're going to feel, or at very least in hindsight, trust me, you will know that Jesus is being unfathomably 
good. This is the receiving of the good news, I believe. And this is the blessing that comes when we follow Jesus. There have been a lot of blessings that have come to me as I have picked up my cross and chosen him. My salvation, eternity is now real for me. Forgiveness, it's complete. Peace with God, the blessing of being part of a community, part of his bride, part of the church, and the blessing of my new identity, and the joy of abiding. Jesus has given me a new identity. The blessing is Jesus himself. John 36, 35 Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says a lot of things about himself. He, he calls himself a, a good shepherd, the light of the world, a vine, a gate for the sheep, a whole bunch of stuff. But yeah, he talks about being the bread of life. In the time of Jesus, bread was the staple. It, is, it was what everyone needed to survive. Back then, without bread, you would die. Your life was spent working, and working was a way to put bread on the table. Simply put, without bread, there was no life. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he wasn't saying, would you like a sprinkling of spirituality? How's about a little bit of religion around the edge of your life? No. He was saying, I am the one that you cannot do spiritually without. Sorry, keto peeps, but bread of life. Bread is still regarded today as a universal staple food. And whilst there are so many different types, flavors of bread, um, it's a food stuff that has fed nearly every person on this earth. Throughout most of the world, bread has been a fundamental part of man's diet for millennia to the point that it's used as a symbolic, basic necessity. Have you ever thought how perfect this analogy would have weathered out history to this day? Jesus was as necessary today as he was then. We need him. And he is the only thing that will fill the hole in us left by sin. 
I don't know what your thoughts and dreams are. What pride still takes up residence in your heart. What disappointments you hold on to. I have no idea about your financial or your work situation. No idea around your relationships. Or even what your future plans may be. I don't know what's keeping you up at night with fear and, and anxiety. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If you know him, you can never disappoint him. This is the greatest gift. Friends, Christ is risen. And that's why we celebrate. Not just every Easter, but every day. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Go 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Oh, we stopped there. <laughs> Who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it? Are you even searching? Find the pearl great price to find the treasure in a field. You have to be looking. Have you ever looked? Or have you given up? The treasure represents Jesus Christ and the salvation he offers. And while we cannot pay for salvation by selling all our worldly goods, once we have found the price, we are willing to give up everything to possess it. We read that the treasure is hidden, indicating that spiritual truth is missed by many and cannot be found by our own intelligence, power, or even if we have all the available worldly wisdom. Our disobedience actually only results in spiritual blindness. When we seek and follow him, he reveals himself to us. When we see, we see eternal life. The incorruptible inheritance that he offers us. And the love of God through Christ. These things make up the pill of great price. When found, makes all further searching unnecessary. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus fulfills our greatest needs. He satisfies all our longings, makes us whole and clean before God, 
calms and quiets our heart and gives us hope for the future. The great value or price, of course, is which was paid by Christ in our redemption on that cross. He emptied himself for his glory. Came to earth in the form fully man and shed his precious blood on that cross to pay the penalty for our sins. John 11, 25 to 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? We were designed to love him. We were designed for righteousness, love, and walk in harmony with God and with others. Part of God's design of the human heart is free will. And that free will meets up with you right now where you're sitting. As you sit and listen to this message, you are needing to respond one way or the other. But know that God desires that you choose Him, that you choose to love Him and serve Him. 